All right, well, good morning again, and happy Father's Day. Happy Grandfather's Day. You got a little scarlet here. Um, I've got my daughter here in the audience, and uh, Kyle, and uh, their daughter Ella made, made us these ties, and so I am the top pop, and I am the coolest. And uh, Kyle, you want to show off your... I'm going to turn this so... Let's see it, Kyle. Kyle, what do you got there? World's best dad, and dad, you're a gas. All right. <laughs> Very fitting. That's, cool. That's funny. Here, Jim, you may need to... <laughs> may need to... Right. So yeah, thanks for everybody joining us online. Dottie and Carol and I still have never met Karen Parrots and she is with us on Friday nights and and uh, and Sunday mornings. So anyway, hopefully this is a good time. Be turning in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter fifteen. We. Uh, On chapter 15 out of 52, there's 52 chapters in Jeremiah. We're just kind of trying to take one chapter at a week. I noticed one of the chapters only has like four or six verses, so we may do two chapters that week. But uh, anyway, we're. Does everybody have a handout? Oh, sorry, Jim, I didn't get you one, brother. Chuck, you want to give Jim one? We are, oh, we got breakfast pizza. Belinda, you are the bomb. <laughs> oh, really? No. <laughs> we are in Jeremiah 15. And uh, we know that Judah... The southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin are about to go into Babylonian captivity. They've got Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army knocking at the door. And uh, God is bringing famine and pestilence and the sword, it says. And I wanted to... Somebody read verse 1 for us. Jeremiah 15, verse 1. It's kind of a famous verse here we can uh, yeah then said the Lord unto me though Moses and Samuel stood before me yet my mind could not be toward this people cast them out of my sight and let them go forth yeah so it mentions these two famous uh, prophets Moses and Samuel and uh, I think there's a reason he chose Moses and Samuel of all the people in the Bible you could that Jeremiah could have talked about here. He says that the Lord told him, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, uh, my mind could not be toward these this people. And so, I think kind of the historical meaning there is that they couldn't they couldn't even halt God's judgment. So Moses is known as a deliverer. He delivered. Uh, the children of Israel out of Babel, or out of Egyptian bondage, and he said, even if Moses was here, I wouldn't change my mind. I, I'm still going to put my people in captivity, and I'm going to have to judge them. And then he even mentioned Samuel. And one of the things I was reading 
it's said that historically Moses and Samuel did both rescue and kind of turn God's judgment. So I think there's that, but also... Uh, I believe in a doctrinal sense, these are like the first and the last judges. You, you don't think of Moses as being a judge. You think of uh, maybe uh, Gideon or Deborah or Samson. Those are in the book of Judges. But uh, it, it does mention that uh, Moses judged God's people and Samuel judged God's people. And so I, I think the kind of a doctrinal reason here he mentions these two are because they're like the first and the last judges, and it's kind of an end of an era uh, for the kings as well as as it was the end of the era of the judges. But anyway, uh, that that's just kind of my thoughts. Any other thoughts that you guys might have on these two men? I mean, these are well, Israel highly respected them. Yes. Yeah, they're definitely key key players in Israel's history. You're absolutely right, Belinda. But uh, so anyway, God's mind's made up that uh, He's not going to be swayed from uh, the judgment that's coming. And so, in verses two and three. <clears throat> Uh, he's like, Jeremiah is like answering God, like, whither shall we go? In verse 2, and it shall come to pass, if they say unto thee, whither shall we go forth? Then thou shalt tell them, thus saith the Lord, such as for death to death, and such as for the sword to sword, and such as for the famine to the famine, and such as for the captivity to the captivity. So he mentions these... uh, different types of judgment that are coming that some are going to be uh, starved to death and some killed with the sword and some going into captivity <clears throat> but then in verse 4 he mentions a person's name uh, somebody read verse uh, 4 for us give me a glass of water would you? Pam Anderson you got that one and I will cause them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth because Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. Right, so that's what I had you put in your blank there, just the word Manasseh. (coughs) Some people pronounce it uh, Manasseh, Manasseh or Manasseh. And so it says right here that he was the son of Hezekiah. And of course that's one of the famous good kings Hezekiah he's the one that uh, found a copy of the word in the temple and he uh, uh, laid it out before the Lord and he prayed and do you remember uh, God sent like a destroying angel and killed uh, 185,000 I think it was the Syrians in one night so there's just a great miracle of this great king Hezekiah I think I told the group here when we were in Israel uh, they they date one of the walls that they uncovered back to Hezekiah and uh, they, they use that for some of the dating there in in Israel in Jerusalem they they call it Hezekiah's wall I believe or something and there's that aqueduct system that is it not his Sure it's yeah, I know David had a way of getting water yeah. 
uh, in the city of David. Yeah. But anyway, uh, did, so he had a son named Manasseh. So it's it's weird that this great king would have a son that was so wayward. But uh, Jeremiah mentions in here, and he's saying in verse four that he's going to cause. Judah, God is going to cause Judah to be removed out of Jerusalem because of Manasseh. It says, for that which he did in Jerusalem. And uh, we, we could go there and read it. I, don't, uh, I, put, I put in your hand out there the, the 2 Kings 21, 1 through 16. But I just listed out like 16 things that it says that he did. It says he committed all the abominations of the heathen. That's uh, the Gentile nations around there. He uh, followed their uh, abominable practices. It says he built again the high places which his father Hezekiah had destroyed. Uh, he built altars to Baal. That that was the sun god. Uh, he made a grove. And I noticed uh, some of the stuff I was reading that the word grove is translated Azareth. Uh, so, so the Hebrew word for grove was actually translated, and it, it has to do with sacred trees or poles that were near the altar, and uh, that that was had to do with some female deity. So, anyway, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, he worshipped all the host of heaven. They served the host of heaven as gods. So they were into astrology, and you know, we we think of tarot cards or you know fortune tellers or uh, you know mediums and so he was into all that and he built altars for the host of heaven in the temple so he defiled the temple he made his sons to pass through the fire and what, what does that mean he sacrificed his children yeah I think that was uh, Molech that they would like build a fire in the statue of Molech and his hands would be outreached and the fire from his underneath would burn the the child that they would put in his hands is kind of the pictures I've seen uh, it said that he observed times that's, that's like having a horoscope uh, he used enchantments um, I don't know if that's like Ouija boards or you know just uh, all these divination and spiritualistic things uh, he dealt with familiar spirits and wizards he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord. He set up a graven image in the temple. He seduced Israel to commit more sins than the nations which had been destroyed out of Canaan. So anyway, they, they kind of adopted the heathen abominations and then added to him and did more more worser than their neighbors and they uh, committed more wicked sins than Am- than Amorites it says and he shed much innocent blood and uh, innocent blood has to do with children I believe because uh, in the book of Psalms it says that children are innocent and uh, you know in, in, in Romans it says that, that before the law that their sins are not imputed they're not counted toward them and so we know that children have a sin nature but uh, they're innocence in the sense that uh, you know they're, they're not they're just doing it by nature they're not 
uh, you know, have, do it with malice. And uh, anyway, th- this is just a commentary on Manasseh. And so, you know, if you, if you fast forward, I don't have my list in front of me, but, you know, 50, 80, 100 years maybe, uh, I don't know, Jim, is that about the same time frame that you would say? Uh, let me look at Second Kings here. Well, I read he had 55 years to do all this. Yeah, he. Well, yeah, and so uh, the thing I was reading in that Manasseh, even though he was a king over the southern tribe, he went into a Syrian captivity for a while and then was allowed to return. Uh, and at the end of his life, he he actually did repent. So yeah, what I'm looking at here right now is just some of the dates. My Bible has dating, and so it's about a hundred years that Manasseh lived before Judas. So, or I mean, before Jeremiah here. So Manasseh did all these wicked things in Jerusalem, and so things had not gotten any better. And so at the time of Jeremiah, God's saying, "Okay, there's no more remedy." It's time to let you guys, uh, yeah, reap what you sow. And so, this is not a Father's Day message per se. But you, you think of if you're a father in here, you think of your own children, and at at some point, enough is enough, isn't it? And you, you uh, do uh, punish your children if they continue to do wrong. And so that's kind of what's happening here. And it says here in verse 5 and 6 something really interesting. There's a word here I want you to see. Uh, somebody read verse 5 and 6. Uh, Belinda, do you have that in Jeremiah 15? Well, who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? For who shall be moaned? For who shall go aside to ask how thou dost? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backward. Therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. So he says there at the end of verse 6 that Belinda just read that he's weary with repenting. And, uh, you know, we read, I think, some seven times in the Bible that God repented. And uh, what do you think of that statement? Uh, does, Does God change his mind? He says he's weary with repenting. He doesn't change his plan. And we talked about this in HBI a little bit, didn't we, Pam? So this is a little bit of a refresher. Um, So he he doesn't change his plan, Pam is saying. So so what about you and I? When we know we've sinned, we're to repent and turn around, right? And so... God is not like that, though, is He? He He doesn't sin, and I I think this little that I wrote in your handout. God does not ever repent of sin. He can repent of doing good or bringing judgment. So uh, some of it has to do with based on His children, right? And and you do that with your children. Um, you know, if you say, you know, we're going to the park this afternoon to play with the kids, 
and the kids just keep fussing with each other, we, we might repent in the sense that, okay, kids, now we're not going to the park because you guys can't get along. You see what I'm saying? And so in that, in that way, but what, what God is saying here is, he, He's saying, since the time of Manasseh, I've been long-suffering. It's been a hundred years. The, these people have built this altar to Baal. They've corrupted my temple. They've take, did the deeds of the heathen. They've sacrificed their children. They've observed time and they've done enchantment. They've done all this wickedness. And my, my plan is for them to live in the promised land. My plan is for them to be a great nation. But they're so consumed with idolatry uh, I'm no longer going to let him live in the promised land. I'm going to have to execute judgment. And so the word repenting is what I had you put in your blank. And uh, l- let's look at a couple of examples of this. Uh, I gave you some verses here. Let's look at the first Samuel 15. I think, uh, yeah, 1529. Let's, let's go there. This is probably good for uh, fathers as well as mothers just to see how God handles his children. 1529 of Samuel. Jim, you got that? Yep. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. So, so God is not a man that he should repent... And and yet and yet the Bible does say that God did repent. Um, look down at verse thirty-five, Jim, if you'd read that one too. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that He had made Saul king over Israel. Okay, so. It turns out that Saul did not follow the Lord, and the Lord kind of repented that, you know, Israel was wanting a king like all the other nations, and so the Lord allowed it. But at this point, uh, God repented that he had made Saul king of over Israel and so David becomes the next king and that's what happens he gets anointed in the next chapter so it does say that he's not a man that he should repent but he he does repent and uh, not not because of sin but because uh, of the actions of his children uh, there, there's uh, several others there that uh, the Genesis 6, 6, that's where he, God repented that he made man on the earth and that's what he, he caused the flood to uh, destroy all but Noah and his wife and their family. Look, look, I think the key for this was Psalm 106. This is where I, I feel like I got the answer of why God repents. Look at Psalm 106. It's funny, I've been out of town for two or three days, and so uh, it was earlier in the week when I kind of put this together, and so I'm kind of, in my mind, I'm kind of refreshing myself, like, okay, why did I write this down? (laughs) So, uh, Psalm 106, as I remember, this is where I 
feel like I got the answer why God repents. Somebody read verse 45 for us. 106.45 And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. Yeah, so he's not a man that he should repent like a, a sinful, but he repented according to the multitude of his mercies. And I think that's key that God is merciful and long suffering. And, uh, you know, we're reading here in Jeremiah how wicked his people had become. And yet, because of his mercies, he doesn't destroy them completely. He uh, allows a remnant uh, to not be destroyed with the famine, the sword, and the the uh, pestilence. But they go into Babylonian captivity, and and you know what? When the New Testament is written, do you know that uh, idolatry is really a thing of the past? The 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 captivity really purge them of their idolatry and uh, hopefully when your children you know get the punishment whatever that punishment is hopefully it purges them as like okay the result of my sinfulness with my siblings or whatever uh, I see what the judgment's going to be on that and I'm just not going to do that anymore and so that, that's it kind of captivity really did kind of cure Israel or Judah of their of their idolatry so it, it served a purpose and God's punishment was just he was long suffering he repented but it was according to his mercies and so does that make sense to everybody mm-hmm. I think that was kind of key for me and hopefully for all of us because <clears throat> uh, anyway He kind of has some tough love there, but it was it was just and yet it was merciful. My study Bible keeps saying relented. Oh, really? Well, it, it's in the column. Okay. It's not in the scripture. Instead of repent, uh, the scripture says repenting, but huh? I uh, when I think about this, like for me to satisfy it in my mind. Uh huh. We look at the big picture. God has a plan. The plan doesn't change. He knew what Judah, what what everyone was going to do. He had had a beautiful plan for them. He already knew they were going to uh, sin. Hmm. And, you know, in that big plan was his, he repented. Hmm. He wished they had done the right thing and, and used all the uh, tools and all the choices that God gave them that repenting that was still part of the hmm. grand plan hmm. he knew it was going to happen yeah that's so it included that that's deep isn't it <laughs> they had listened to it. yeah yeah you know I was listening to a preacher on the radio this morning and talking about Esther and you know she had come to the throne for such a time as this that famous saying and but you know her uncle Mordecai told her you know honey it's time for you to step up and stand alone and ask the king 
to but he he kind of gives a way out even if you don't God will provide uh, God will provide deliverance from some other way I just thought that was interesting and I've, I've heard and read that before but it was kind of fresh this morning and so like you're saying Pam it's like God's got this plan and even if we don't follow through on our part of it God's going to accomplish it some other way and so anyway it's good for us though to be part of the plan and and be a, a player in something bigger than ourselves so even when he knows they're not going to do right he still gives them a chance anyway just yeah i mean he knows how it's going to end but yeah it's like here i'm going to give you a chance anyway hmm. <clears throat> you know uh i i you know jesus says something you remember they uh let me just try to think of is around his crucifixion uh, I'm trying to think what Jesus said there exactly remember he, he says he don't know the the day and the hour the father only at the time of his return nobody knoweth the day or the hour and the the preacher I heard talking about that does everybody know what I'm talking about the day mm-hmm. Jesus said he didn't know the day or the hour only the father knows and so people say well if Jesus was God why didn't he know and the preacher I heard he said that in in he, he said that Israel could have repented and accepted him as the Messiah so in order for Jesus's offer to be valid uh, he had to he had God had to the father not give Jesus that part of the puzzle just so that his valid to Israel his offer to Israel could be valid I don't know if I said all that just right but you know if Jesus knew they weren't going to accept him you know he'd just be kind of going through the motions but he really had to die he really had to suffer uh, in hopes that they would receive him as Messiah now the teaching point I gave you at the bottom of your page Jeremiah speaks hard words that we need to hear too and answer these questions Uh, I put do we go with the flow and are we guilty by association because so association is what goes in your blank you know they, they were associated with Manasseh they they uh, you know Manasseh the the evil king was mentioned in this passage and so sometimes we're guilty by association we we run I run into that quite a bit in recovery uh, more than once I bet I've had close to 10 or 12 times I've heard people say that they're incarcerated because the person that was with them uh, got out of the car and hid their drugs in this person's car. And so they not only had... uh, So the driver of the car is saying that he was innocent, but the person he was with or given a ride to put their drugs in the car and got out of the car and since it was their the other person's car the person with the car and the driver you know got busted for it but 
they were kind of guilty by association is kind of what I'm saying here and sometimes because of the people we hang out with the places we go the things we do things with uh, with people sometimes we're guilty by association too and so uh, we need to choose activities and friends and uh, that are going to lift us up and not get us into trouble amen amen all right, well, we'll flip the page, and we'll go to this uh, next half of Jeremiah. Hopefully it'll go a little quicker, but uh, somebody read verse 10 for us. Is kind of Jeremiah's complaint. Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury. Yeah, every one of them does curse me. Yeah, so Jeremiah's feeling like everybody's against him. Uh, it's like it's it's uh, even what was my mother? You know, she's born a man of strife, and so Jeremiah knows he's causing all this contention, and he hasn't borrowed or lent with usury. But at the end of verse ten, yet every one of them doth curse me. Like everybody's against me. And so he's kind of expressing his complaint. And uh, let's see, it goes down through here. In verse 12, it mentions this, Shall iron break the northern iron and steel? And so this is kind of a symbolism of how uh, Judah, I think if we knew more about iron and steel, we might know, but... Um, uh, I'll tell you just a little story. My uh, th- this weekend for Father's Day, I went and see my dad yesterday, and I've spent the last few weeks uh, after hours. I've been uh, refurbishing a dinner bell that he had uh, as as a boy. He remembers his mother ringing a dinner bell and you can picture the bell itself is probably 40 pounds and the yoke and stuff around it's another 20 pounds so it's about a 60 so uh so he's had it at his house for years so this bell is about 100 years old because my dad's 85 and he remembers as a boy this bell and so uh i took it into work well the kind of the thing about it is he, he laid it beside the driveway at his house and he accidentally with his big semi uh, got off the, he ran over part of it so he broke broke it in two or three pieces uh, not not the bell itself but the yoke around it and the little the little dinger underneath was unhooked and it was in pretty bad shape so I, I took it to work and and I used a wire brush attachment on a grinder, and I got all the rust off from it. And then I even took it to a, a we got a bead blaster, and I, I blast, sandblasted it. <clears throat> and then we've got a steel it paint that uh, it's kind of like a stainless steel in a can, so it's kind of a dark gray. So it looks really nice, and, and but the broken pieces, um, I'm not a great welder, but my buddies are so my buddies was able to cut off part and weld another plate on it but part of it is just kind of pot metal it's cast iron show this or and uh yeah there's there's the finished result uh if you can pass that around 
cool. So we got it hung up yesterday. That's really But uh, anyway... They they couldn't weld part of the cast iron, and so I was ha- I just had to kind of put a couple pieces of metal on each side and kind of bolt it together. Up close, you can see it, but it's not- yeah, up close you can see it, but it it looks pretty good in the picture. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, uh, did he know that you were doing this? No, he he knew he knew I took it, and he said, Steve, I don't want it back. Okay. He was going to put it at our. House. I was going to put it at our house. No, it might mean more to him, so let's just yeah, put it at his house. So I got about ten hours of work in that bell. And it has a two on it. it. You can hear it for two miles. Oh, cool. That's what they wow. say. That's what it's rated as. Yeah. Well, awesome. I'll be good. It's very loud. Loud. They said some of them are two or some of them are three. He rang it in the garage one day. Thanks, Chuck. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That looks better than it really does. <laughs> that picture's better. That looks good. So, uh, but anyway, I, I had to support the cast iron with some steel on each side. And so this verse talks about even though Judah's like iron, Babylon's like steel, and the, the iron's not going to defeat the steel. So it's kind of showing how weak it is. <clears throat> And iron was stronger than steel. Well, Some steel's refined. Yeah, Jim. Jim's saying that steel is kind of like refined iron. Maybe it's it's It'll been through the fire or something. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm just thinking about this cast iron bell while I'm thinking about this verse. Good timing. <laughs> yeah. So then, in verses 13 and 14. Uh, uh, it says, Thy substance and thy treasures will I give to the spoil without price, and that for all thy sins, even in all thy borders. And I will make thee to pass with thine enemies, take thee to pass with thine enemies, into a land which thou knowest not, for a fire is kindled in mine anger, which... Uh, shall burn unto you. And so it talks about God's anger here. So I had you put that in your blank. God's anger is kindled and burning upon Judah. And uh, we even talk about uh, anger in such a way as like, you know, that... You know, I'm just furious. It talk, you know, if we're furious, we're we're really heated up. We're and uh, s- certain things kind of get us our blood boiling. We say, or so God's anger here is kindled, but it it's a righteous indignation, isn't it? God, there is such a thing as righteous anger, because uh, and I listed out a couple places there. In John and Mark, you know, Jesus overturned the money changer's table. And he says that, you know, my house or my father's house is to be this house of prayer. And you you have made it uh, a house of thieves or a den of thieves or a house of merchandise. So they were buying and selling these animals for sacrifice and different things. And Christ was angry in his earthly reign. And... Let's all look at the uh, Psalms passage. Look at Psalms seven eleven. <clears throat> I don't know if we if we really think about God's anger much. Not until it says wrath. Yeah, yeah. It talks about His wrath, and 
Let's see, Job Psalms. Psalm 711. Who's got that? God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So God is angry with the wicked every day. We don't really think like that, but... uh, So as we think about Judah and their... God's wrath being kindled and his anger and he you know he's had a hundred years to kind of stew on this since Manasseh and so now he's getting ready to execute his wrath and uh, t- turn over to the New Testaments Romans 111 or 118 there there's a place in our New Testament Romans 1. We know that the Lord is long-suffering. He's patient. He's he's got all these uh, attributes. But in one eighteen, uh, Pam Pam Jackson, do you have one eighteen of Romans? Yes. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Yeah. So that that's where His wrath is kindled. <clears throat> Uh, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all. Of, so those are th- those are things that He's uh, righteously angry about: is ungodliness and unrighteousness, and men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And so this has to do with His word being violated and lies being told. And so those are uh, things that make him angry. And the Ephesians verse there is what I always think of. It says, be, be ye angry and sin not. So God doesn't sin in his anger, but uh, he has a righteous anger. Uh, but one, one day, that, that's what the tribulation period is about. And uh, somehow I missed a teaching point there, didn't I? I didn't fill in. I don't know what I was going to put there. I missed that. But hopefully we can uh, maybe come up with our own there. Uh, So anyway, there's things that that do make God angry. And uh, we we, we want to please the Lord. We don't want to make Him angry. And... uh, I think that even says that about fathers in Ephesians that uh, children or fathers provoke not your children to anger, is it? Yeah. To wrath, provoke not your. T- so, uh, so God doesn't. He provokes us unto love and to good works, and uh, so anyway, there's some things about His uh, anger. Now, now let's go back to uh, Jeremiah. And verse 16 is our... Well, let's, let's read 15 and 16. Jeremiah 15, verses 15 and 16. Angie, you get those? Uh, verse 16? 15 and 16. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me, and visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Yeah, so 16 is kind of our memory verse. We said this is a key to our... And if you remember, 
um, at the end of verse 10, he says that everyone everyone curses him, so he feels like he has been a, a contentious prof, prophet. But verse 16, I believe, is uh, how Jeremiah found the strength to go on is he says that God's words were found and I did eat them. Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. So Jeremiah, he remembers his calling. And and that's what happened in in chapter 1 of Jeremiah. He was called to to, uh, pluck down, to root out, to cast down, and to plan and to build. And, And he remembers his calling here at the end of verse 16. God, your words were found just like they were found back in Hezekiah's day. And uh, I ate them. And when you eat something, it becomes part of you. So he's kind of remembering his calling here. And um, just a second here. I think... I think that this should cause all of us to examine what we think of God's word. Because it says, Thy words were found. That's plural. And then he says, Thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. So in spite of everybody hating him, despite how bad it was in Judah at his time, Jeremiah said, you know, God, you call me. Your words are true. They cause me to rejoice and have joy in my life. And uh, when I was in uh, shepherd school, uh, one of the best assignments that was given us was to write... I think it was a 50-page type... No, it was a 20-page type written on what you believe. And and so uh, th- this is part of mine, just the doctrine of the Bible and wh- what you believe about the Bible. And... Uh, and so I, I just put, I believe that the Bible is God-breathed and inspired from God to man. And we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, we believe that the Bible is more sure than the audible voice of God. That's what Second uh, Peter 1 talks about, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Uh, I believe that God exalts His Word above His name. That's what Psalm 138.2 says, Thou hast magnified Thy Word above all Thy name. And uh, anyway, the Bible is what separates uh, Christianity from other quote-unquote religions. Is We, we uh, have a book that uh, is prophetical in nature. It, it talks about things that haven't even happened yet. In fact, they say that uh, about, uh, a, let's see, what did I put here? The Bible has nearly uh, a fourth of it is written uh, about prophetical things. And, uh, of course, it, it tells of how, you know, we're saved by the Word of God, right? Mm-hmm. That we're being born again, uh, or we, we have been born again by the Word of God. And the the Word of God is perfect, uh, converting the soul. And uh, the Gospel is connected with the Word of God. The Word of God uh, is the origin of our faith. The faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 
we are sanctified by the Word of God. It's what keeps us clean. We have grace through His Word. We are equipped to service because of His Word. And uh, the Lord gives us many symbols in the Bible. It's like a mirror that we can examine ourselves with. It's like a seed. It's like water. It's a, it's like a light. It's Thy Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's likened to a sword. It's likened to food. Jeremiah talks a little later about it being like a hammer that was uh, that uh, broke up rocks. It's like a fire. And um, anyway, uh, I thought these were just some good things that help remind me of uh, what the Word of God is to me. Yeah. You haven't changed, huh? Some of it's probably evolved a little bit. Yeah, I, I add to it every once in a while. I got uh, quotes from people like, you know, like uh, Noah Webster, Daniel Webster here. Yeah. He says, if there's anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the scriptures. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper but if we and our posterity neglect its instructions and authority no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity Daniel Webster so yeah um, John Wesley he told young ministers of the Methodist society to read it or get out of the ministry <laughs> that's, cool. that's good advice yeah anyway um, those are just the things that I uh, collect and and all of us when we uh, in uh, in discipleship lesson five on the word of God there's a poem there and I thought it'd be good to just to read it here today I put that in my little article it says the Bible contains the mind of God the state of man the way of salvation the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers its doctrines are holy its precepts are binding its histories are true and its decisions are immutable read it to be wise believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to sustain you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's comfort, I'm sorry, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy contents. So that's pretty... Uh, yeah. Who did say who wrote it? It says it's unknown. Well, I'd like a copy of that. It's in your Discipleship 1. Oh, okay. Well, I knew I'd heard yeah. it, but I didn't know... Yep. Where. It's in Lesson 5. I... 
Yeah, I know you probably. So anyway, those are just things that uh, I like, and I, I thought it'd be a good time just to mention that in context of Jeremiah saying that that his God's word was the joy and rejoicing of his heart. So <clears throat> you know, when things are tough for you and your family, and <clears throat> just think upon the word of God. I was listening to um, a preacher yesterday, and he said he read the Bible through twice a month for a couple of years. Wow, that is cool. He said it's about 80 pages a day. I was just like... That's cool. Well, yeah, I know it's around 70 hours. It, straight through. it was Ruckman. It was really? Ruckman that said that. Oh, that's cool. So uh, he, he passed away a few years ago, but anyway... Uh, I'm not trying to lay a burden, but it was convicting to me. It's like, anyway. So, uh, Roman numeral three here on our second page. The world opposes the word. And in verse 15, Jeremiah, he's asking God to remember him and revenge him of his persecutors. And uh, this is what is called this imprecatory prayer. And he's done this a couple times in the Bible, in, in Jeremiah. It's this word goes in your blank. And, and I think about that often because... You and I have probably been tempted to pray against our enemies, and that, that's what he's doing here. And maybe there's a time to do that. I mean, Jesus does tell us to love our enemies and pray for them that persecute us. And so, uh, I guess just be real, real careful with that. <clears throat> uh, I think he's more praying against God's enemies because uh, he suffered rebuke for God's sake. And so he was really seeking justice, not just uh, revenge, if that makes sense. And uh, the teaching point I gave us here is Jeremiah wrestles with the cross. He He's at the intersection of human and the divine. So divine is what goes in your teaching point there, imprecatory, and then the, the word divine. And uh, I don't know if you really think about it, but, uh, you know, a cross... <clears throat> across kind of the the hor- or the yeah the the horizontal beam really represents our human interaction you know people on our level we're, we're human but the vertical represents you know your your relationship with the lord and so there's there's a point to where they intersect right there's a there's a cross section that's why it's called a cross and so jeremiah is at that he's like praying against his enemies god i love your word but everybody's cursing me and you see the dilemma he's in. He's like, I'm a, I'm a preacher of your word, and, and we can relate in this country. And uh, you know, Kyle serves our country in the army, and and so I'm sure he hears about 
uh, things that maybe he can't even talk about, but um, you know our country's in a mess, and so we love the Lord, we love people, but we hate the way some things are going, and and so we're we're at that same intersection, and so it's just neat to see Jeremiah how this played out in his day. Um, and so he he's a man of prayer, he's a man of the word, and so I think those are real key for us. And he even says in verse 19, this last section here, uh, somebody read 19 through 21, and uh, Sarah Lou, you want to read those? 19 through 21? Yep. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious, yeah, the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. And so what he's describing here, that he's going to take forth the precious out of the vile so there are people going to be killed by the sword there are going to be keep people die by the pestilence there are going to be people die by the famine but God says the remnant he, he is going to save and uh, fight for and he is going to deliver in verse 20 uh, saith the Lord and he will deliver out of the hand of the wicked so there is this remnant and uh, my teaching point there was just God wants to defend his people but they first must be purged so I put the word purge there and uh, uh, a house we used to live at I I, I wish I uh, I think I've only planted one tree in my life I I planted a tree it's a purple autumn ash we looked at pictures and we wanted to have a tree that had purple leaves in the fall and so we planted it and it it was about as tall as me probably but it didn't grow very good so like three years later uh, I think we only lived there three that's where Sarah was born at our house in Grandview where we planted this tree but my mother-in-law said you know, Steve, a, a tree will grow better if you prune it. Mm-hmm. And I, I never thought of that. And, you know, I'm not really, even though I grew up on a farm, I mean, I like the work of a farm, but I, I didn't really have the green thumb, maybe. But anyway, I, I went and I pruned that tree. And sure enough, guys, the next year it like doubled in size. And if you went there today, I mean, it's taller than our church. And uh, anyway, pruning will do that. And, and so it's funny how, you know, when Gideon went to conquer the Midianites, there's like 32,000 of them. And God says, that's too many. That's too many. Uh, Israel, there's too many. If you win the battle against the Midianites, you'll claim that you did it yourself. And so God said, everybody that's fearful, just go home and so about 10,000 of them went and then uh, there's like 22,000 left and God said that's still too many I, 
I forget. He said, you know, if you've only been... I forget exactly what is... Anyway, finally he says, everybody go down and drink water. And there was only like 300 that, that lapped water like a dog. And so out of these 32,000, God only used the 300 to defeat the, the Midianites. And uh, so my point is, God has to kind of purge and reduce... And to where he gets the glory, and uh, you know, many a people have have had to be kind of broken, and uh, you know that that's what led me to salvation was going broke financially before I saw my need for the Lord, and so anyway, God is saying that He has to purge His people and reduce them. Uh, so that he will get the glory and when the remnant is saved and they are uh, brought back into the land you know they're going to know that that God is Jehovah is God and that they are his people and uh, anyway we just don't always think like God thinks we think you know, we we got to get stronger and beef up and have more resources. And sometimes, you know, like with Jonathan, God God says He can save with many or with few. And uh, I, I like that because sometimes we we feel few. I'm, I'm sure Jim is overwhelmed this week just going into vacation Bible school. It's like we don't have enough help. We don't know where how everything's going to work out and. And so we, we look to these promises that we need God to show up and we need Him to Him to help and Him to purge us and anyway, that makes sense. And he'll work with you through the fire of the trials. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, that's a good good way to say it. He he he's with you through through it. And he doesn't necessarily. I read that this week on Facebook that God didn't remove the Red Sea; He parted the Red Sea. He He made a way through it. He didn't just dry it up or move the body of water. Or, he made a way through it. So, all right. Well, we're going to hold up there. Get out a couple minutes early. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your comments. We'll look at uh, chapter sixteen. Lord willing, next week, uh, read the word this week, and hopefully it'll be a joy and rejoicing of your heart. So let's let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Uh, Lord, we do bow our heads. We ask you to uh, be with Vacation Bible School this week. Be with uh, Jim and all the workers. I pray you'll give them just the uh, encouragement and strength that they need. Uh, pray for... Uh, children from the community to come out and to hear your word in a fresh new way as they talk about digging and just finding treasure from the word I do uh, thank you that my grandchildren will be there Lord I pray your uh, blessing on this church in all our endeavors I thank you for the the Bibles that were put together yesterday uh, Lord we just uh, uh, we feel like Jeremiah sometimes we just that we feel uh, maybe we're opposed in many ways, and yet you've got a calling on our lives. You got a calling. Uh, our pastor has been uh, sent here, and um, Lord, this church has been called.
world. And we have your word. I pray we'll just uh, go forth. Uh, help us to uh, be purged and of just any impurities. And uh, may this be a, a work uh, of your name here in these last days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Good. Yeah. That's good. Always good to talk about the word. Yeah. yeah I was thinking Dell, but what, that verse about thy words, yeah, I did eat them. He loved that verse. Yes. Sign out here.